Mosaic, welcome this evening. Um, go ahead and make your way in if you haven't already. Uh, make yourself at home here in this place tonight. Um, we invite you, strip down this, this evening, um, and we're gonna worship our King together. So if you will, please stand with us, and we'll sing together. that don't satisfy power and pleasure that always run dry but I belong to Christ I don't belong to opinions value defined by this world approval and praise change every day but I belong to Christ. Let's sing this out. I belong to Christ, my King. I belong to Him. Drawn by His kindness, found in His love. Fellowship, I'm Justin Craning. Since the age of 12, Fellowship and its people have invested in me so much over the years, helped me grow and have an impact as a follower of Jesus. As a graphic and web designer here on staff of Fellowship, I'm so excited to share a new resource designed to help you do the same. Over the last year or so, I've been leading a team behind the scenes to bring a new Fellowship app to life. And it's not just an app but a companion in the daily and weekly rhythms of you and your community. Whether it's praying and reading scripture, discussing the latest message with your community group, catching up on the latest news and events, 
or engaging with services and podcasts online. This app was designed with you in mind. And this is just the beginning. Over the next few weeks, we'll be sharing with you more on how to get the most out of your app experience. But for now, check out the events tab. All the opportunities we talk about in service, everything on your congregation's news page, it's all right there. So download the Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas app today in the Apple or Google Play stores and begin exploring new ways to engage with one another in the home and in community. Good evening. How are we doing? Oh, we're lively. I love it. Hey, can we give a big round of applause to our media resourcing team? They have been crushing it with this mobile app. Justin has been working, I think, nonstop for the past two months getting this thing off the ground. Um, Hey, if I don't know you yet, my name is Ashley Covert. I'm the communications coordinator here for Mosaic. Been here about three months, so if I don't know you, let's fix that. Let's go grab coffee. Let's catch up. Um, Tonight, though, I'm really excited to tell you about this app. I've been using it for the past few weeks. So it's super simple. You can see where to download it through the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. Um, You've got kind of the rundown of everything that it can do. Just a couple things to highlight for you. Um, You can pull up the service that we are on tonight. You can click on that. Leading various church members. That's what we're going to talk through. I can scroll down and click teaching slides. Now, I have seen so many of you Flip your phones up, pull up your cameras, and take a picture of the screen. And trust me, I love it. I love seeing it. I love the engagement. But if you want a clear, less grainy picture, you can have the teaching slides right here on your phone. Uh, The other thing you can do from this app, like you heard in the video, is if you click the events tab, you'll see everything that we have listed on our webpage. So when we talk about stuff and we direct you to the webpage, you'll be able to see it all right here on your phone. One of those things is the Bentonville survey. Now, if you're not sure what that means, you may not have heard, we are launching a campus in Bentonville so soon, so soon. Now, a lot of people have already kind of been in communication with us of, yes, my family lives in Bentonville, that's where I'm gonna be going, but this survey is gonna help us um, kind of get a big picture idea of where our people are gonna land once we launch this campus, which is another thing we're super excited and grateful to be able to do. So. Thank you for joining us here this evening. Um, We have an info booth in the back. If you're brand new, we'd love to connect with you. But also, if you have questions about this mobile app, we'll have one of our media resourcing staff, Megan, back in the info booth at the end of service. We'd love to be able to help you download and get set up with this thing. So I'm going to turn it back over to Johanna and Matt, and they're going to take us through worship. So we're so glad to be here with you. Hey, as we start another part of musical worship, we just want to invite you to take any posture that will allow your soul to kind of catch up to your body. That's right here. I tend to take a pace that doesn't naturally include a rhythm of rest or intentional reflection. So this is the space for that. So we won't cue you to stand or sit or kneel, but you can do any one of those things at your leisure. The other thing we wanted to call out is that there's less people on stage than normal, and that is intentional too. Um, While it's so beneficial to gather and to declare truth and remind our souls of what is real and true, it's really awesome to hear your brothers and sisters in Christ doing the same. So it's quieter in the room, which means you're gonna hear yourselves and your neighbors singing, and that's good. 
because someone came in in a different place than you did. And if you're heavy hearted, then someone's joy might intermingle with your worship and it's gonna be beautiful. So as you take time to rest and reflect, also take time to listen across the room and revel in the worship of your family. So take whatever position and we'll sing together.
just invite you to put your hands out in front of you. And in those hands, would you visualize anything that is unwell in your mind and in your heart? Maybe it's anxieties or stress. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's the burden of sin. And you put those in your hand and place them out before our higher power, Jesus Christ for he has the power to be the healer and he will take our burden. And so when we sing this last chorus, we sing it over those things that we place in our hands, we submit it to him and say, Lord, would you make it well? Would you come and reveal yourself in a fresh way to take these cares and to take these burdens? With my soul, with my soul, it is well, it is well. taking our burdens, for revealing yourself as the conquering king, Lord, who will be victorious. And you are glorious, but you are also right here. And you care about the smallest of things. Thank you, Jesus. We are so grateful. And it is in your powerful son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. Mosaic, when was the last time your life was gripped by a powerful metaphor? Could it have been the first time that you were a part of Fellowship Mosaic to realize that you were coming into a congregation that acknowledged, even in its name, all are broken, all matter, one gets the glory. You know, this past week, watching a lot of baseball, particularly being able to root on the Atlanta Braves. I don't want anybody to tell me the score of tonight's game. I know what's going on right now. We're about to start game four of the World Series. But watching the third base coach, Ron Washington, who's a compelling third base coach, known for sending guys home, even when it's gonna be close, I've thought of a metaphor that gripped my life in a powerful way probably about eight or nine years ago. I was in a leadership cohort Robert Cup and some other pastors, and Cup was explaining to this group of leaders a leadership metaphor that has shaped his life. And it's, he calls it his view from third. Has anybody heard that before? It's this idea that in a culture where our mission is to produce and release spiritual leaders, 
Cup explained that one of the greatest satisfactions as a leader is being, having that view from third base, being that third base coach, watching a younger emerging player hit a line drive or jack one out of the park, take first base, round second base, and lock eyes with that third base coach who's there giving signals. Come on, man. Come to third. Go home. As he set up this powerful metaphor of just what it looks like as a spiritual leader to produce and release, to develop other leaders, to entrust leadership to them, and then be very comfortable serving from third base, cheering on next-gen leaders as they're developed and released. I've thought about that through the NLCS and now during the World Series of just how powerful and compelling a simple metaphor can be in our lives. When we come to 1 Timothy, particularly in chapter five, the Apostle Paul is gonna address some very specific issues. But as he does so, he's gonna remind Timothy and the church there in Ephesus to treat each other like a family. He's gonna use this metaphor of treating each other like a family that is gonna paint a picture or, or enhance our understanding of the verses that follow. You see, the benefit of, of teaching through an entire book like we are with the book of 1 Timothy right now is, is not only do you get to see the, the, the big picture, the big themes, but you also get to see some of the specifics as you just work your way through a book verse by verse. And so chapter five is gonna address some very specific issue. It's gonna address some very diverse topics. How to treat one another like a family. How to take care of the most vulnerable among the body. How to treat elders. It's gonna talk about even this slave and master dynamic. And in one sense, chapter five, if you read it just standing alone, you might read it and go, man, this feels like it's kind of in the weeds. But if you'll take the time to step back and be reminded of the two powerful themes that are being developed in the book of 1 Timothy, it sheds light on the specifics. As we've gone through this book, we are reminded that Paul is writing to Timothy in Ephesus a church that is facing a lot of problems. And there's two powerful themes that continue to be developed in this book. Number one is godly character. And number two is sound doctrine. And you may recall last week as Nick walked us through the latter half of chapter four, we come to this verse, chapter four, verse 16, and we see this phrase that expresses these two powerful themes. Watch your life and doctrine closely. There it is. And so tonight, as we continue through this letter, we're gonna have the incredible privilege of discovering tonight that godly character and sound doctrine are what perfectly position the local church to meet the needs of a diverse family. So if you've got your Bibles or wanna pull it up on a device, we're gonna be in 1 Timothy chapter five and we're just gonna work our way through the verses in this chapter. Chapter five opens with this instruction. 
Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Let's take a few moments to go back and unpack what is being presented to us in these first two verses. There's two guiding verbs that sort of set the tone for this entire chapter in verses one and two. It's the word rebuke and exhort. Paul here is instructing Timothy, as you relate to members within the body, do not rebuke harshly. The language here really is a very strong term that Paul's talking about. It's the idea of harsh or violent rebuke, where literally the verbal rebuke borderlines on almost emotional and sometimes even physical abuse. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. There's no place for that within the body of Christ. But on the flip side, what he is instructing us to do as we treat one another as fathers, as mothers, as brothers and sisters, is to exhort one another. This word literally means to encourage, to strengthen, to appeal, to come alongside and to hold up one who is weak. Now, you want to know something really beautiful, Mosaic? The same word here that is used for exhort, the root word, it's the same word that's used for the title of the Holy Spirit, a helper, one who comes alongside and is willing to stand behind and hold up someone who may be weaker just for the sake of encouragement. You know, when we think in terms of, of metaphors, as, as Paul's sort of setting up this, this whole idea of, of the local church treating one another like the family, kind of a word picture or a metaphor comes to my mind. It actually relates to some projects that I've done with my father-in-law. My in-laws are not here tonight, so I'm not getting any points for saying this, but honestly, Mosaic, when it comes to in-laws, I hit the jackpot. My father-in-law, Tom Cravens, is just one of the best guys I've ever met. Had a long career with the Forest Service, and one of the things that, that Tom and I love to sort of joke about is working for a federal government agency. There's a manual and a rule book and a protocol for everything. And one of the expressions that Tom is always saying is, safety first. Well, enter into his life, Will Blanchard, church planter, ultra runner. I wouldn't call myself a risk taker, but most risk takers don't consider themselves risk takers, right? It's others that consider themselves risk takers. And so Tom's expression for me has been, Will, I may be safety first, but you're safety third. It's down your list of priorities. And so anytime that we're doing projects together, particularly at their house, I'm, I'm prone to use whatever tool is in my hand to accomplish the job, whether it's the right tool or not. Is there anybody else out there that does that? So if I'm on a ladder that's too short, instead of going to get a taller ladder, that just means you need to stand on the very top step because they wouldn't have put that step there if they didn't want you to stand on it. 
Tom doesn't think so. So there's been several times, particularly, I can remember one moment in particular where Tom and I are under a deck screwing some lag bolts into a ledger board and I'm on the top of the ladder, leaning back, probably uneven, it's propped up by rocks and I'm trying to get some leverage to drive this lag bolt through this board. And Tom, maybe he's got his phone out, ready to dial 91, you know, he's just waiting for the other one, lays his phone down and comes up the first two steps of the ladder and he puts his hand on my back and as my other hand is holding the screw gun, he puts his hand on my elbow and he just pushes, holding my back, pushing my elbow, helping me accomplish the task. That's what I think of when Paul here instructs the local church to exhort, to exhort older men, not to rebuke one another harshly, but to exhort, to hold up, to treat men like we would our fathers, to treat women the way we would our own mothers, to treat younger women the way we would our sisters and younger men the way we would our brothers. But again, think for a moment, Mosaic, what it would be like to put yourself in Timothy's shoes and how powerful and impactful this verse would have been as he's reading this letter from his mentor, Paul. A young pastor in a church that is struggling with sin and dysfunction. And as a younger leader, no doubt potentially facing the temptation to come in to clean house and rebuke people harshly or to try to come in and launch a bunch of initiatives and programs and right out of the gate, prove your leadership, prove your worth to that church. Or maybe, just maybe, could godly character and sound teaching begin to change the church from the inside out? Could Timothy take a softer approach? You see, what really Paul is doing, and, and one of the reasons we're, we're spending so much time just on these first two verses of this chapter is to understand this metaphor that Paul is painting and this idea that the local church is to function like a family. Because what Paul is doing is he's setting up the guardrails for how the local church is to function. And he's giving Timothy some specific instructions for how to care for the needs of the most vulnerable people in his community and in his congregation. Knowing that in order to meet the needs of a diverse family, he himself must be rooted in godly character and sound doctrine. And for Paul, through the empowering presence of Christ in his life, he no doubt understood that needs of a diverse family are best met through relationships, through discernment, and through generosity. And that's what we get to unpack together tonight. As we continue on in verse three of chapter five, Paul writes, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. 
Again, this is one of those critical verses that actually is gonna serve as the invitation for the remainder of the chapter. The word widow here, in, chapter, in verse three, when Paul says, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. This is someone who is robbed, who is suffering loss, or who is left alone. The idea of giving proper recognition means to give honor, to respect, to care for. But then there's this phrase, to those who are really in need. And once again, Mosaic, this is the great invitation of this passage. To those who are really in need. That simple phrase forces us to lean in, to listen and to respond with godly wisdom because how in the world do you discern which ones are really in need? You see, everyone is in need of spiritual comfort and care from the local church. That's not something that is exclusive to just widows. In fact, one of the major realizations that Sarah and I have had this fall as a new community group has launched in our living room with three other families, is just how in desperate need we are of community. In fact, as this new community group has been forming and, and sort of forging one another, one of the things that we expressed recently to our group was just how badly we needed their input in our lives, that we needed to be prayed for, that we needed the friendship and the care that they were providing. And that's one of the things that as followers of Jesus Christ, that need will never go away this side of eternity. That our lives were designed to experience the spiritual care that the local church provides. So everyone needs spiritual comfort and care. And as we'll see, not all widows are truly alone and without means, but some are. And so what Timothy is being tasked with and what the local church is being tasked with is how do you discern which needs to meet and how best to meet those needs? And what Paul is gonna do over the next 12 verses is give Timothy some points to consider as he discerns the needs of the body. So as we continue, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What Paul is really driving home here is this whole idea that problems are best solved on the most basic level of the family. He's setting up a culture 
helping Timothy realize that certain problems, in fact, the vast majority of problems, are solved on the most basic level in family, in community, that needs are best met in the context of relationship. Continue on in verse nine. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Again, this passage points us to the principle that within the local church, every member of the body is to be involved in ministry. It also highlights the fact that there is dignity in serving and being served. And sometimes we need to be on both ends of that spectrum. That there are certain seasons of our life where we need to allow the body of Christ to serve us, to minister to us, to meet needs, to exhort and encourage us. And then there are other seasons, and sometimes at the same time, where God uses our unique perspective, our unique gifting to contribute to the body of believers and to serve others. Continue in verse 11. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ. They want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they, are broken. they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into a habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to Satan. Here in this passage, we see the idea of the tremendous value in work that honors God. And actually, the context of this entire passage causes believers to lean into conversations around helpful help. Because again, what the Apostle Paul is setting up for that church there in Ephesus is this whole idea that in order to meet the needs of a diverse family, those are best done in the context of relationships and in a place where there is discernment. But notice what happens in verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. You see, Mosaic Paul here, he's coming full circle on his argument. What is, what is described here in chapter five is it's not a welfare state, but rather it's an opportunity for the church to display open-handed generosity to hurting and vulnerable people within the body of Christ, realizing that needs are best met through relationships where there's a culture of discernment alongside a culture of open-handed generosity. 
You know, this whole idea of, of open-handed generosity where the needs of the most vulnerable are met is one of the things that, that over the years here at Fellowship has been incredibly compelling to watch Jesus cultivate that spirit of generosity within the body. You know, some of the more visible ministries that have rolled out of that culture of generosity here at Fellowship would include ministries like the Samaritan Community Center, ministries like Celebrate Recovery, the Counseling and Care Ministry here at Fellowship, all three of which over the last two years have almost been pushed front and center as the needs of a community have increased. And it's such a privilege to be a part of a church that time after time after time is willing to lean into conversations around generosity. And rather than try to quickly launch another program or come up with another initiative to literally live lives before the world and before the Lord that says everything you've entrusted to us is yours, Lord, what do you want to do with it? How could you produce life change across Northwest Arkansas and the world in and through what you have entrusted to us? And time and time again, God is so faithful to reveal what that next expression will be and will look like. But as his people, we're called to live lives of generosity not as a PR tactic, but because we know and serve a generous God who's been so extravagantly generous to us. But you know, Mosaic, in many ways, that's on the macro level. Tonight, I want us to see how these principles get lived out in the lives of one of our own leaders, Lily who has had to walk this path alongside her church body the last few years. Watch this life change story with me. I have been at Fellowship since 2015. My husband Roland and my little one Mia had been looking for a church home. I grew up knowing about God. Once we became parents, I was really thirsty for the word and just to know more about God. Throughout the whole year of 2015, my prayer was, God, show me more of you. And uh, in 2016, he definitely started answering that prayer. Um, Roland was diagnosed with leukemia. That year was very challenging. God just really pulled out things out of my life that I had been idolizing so much. It was April when Roland just really declined and ended up being admitted to mercy. He was given less than 10% chance of surviving. Underwent chemo. It was around mid-May whenever he was discharged. At that moment, that's when I fully just surrendered to God. We knew he was going to undergo a transplant, and I remember uh, completely not knowing how we would, how I would eat being in St. Louis. 
Uh, we didn't have money to buy food every day at the hospital and we were anticipating 100 days away from our little one. It didn't take long for the church to get connected with us. We just had people praying for us. I remember being overwhelmed by how many people reached out to us. And I remember having money from our church body that had been a blessing to provide meals every day. And God showed up so much throughout that year. The doctors were amazed at how well Roland had responded to the transplant. And in 2017, Roland went into remission. At the end of 2017, uh, Roland relapsed and our world shook. <laughs> I remember not knowing what lied ahead. He was taken to Little Rock for another round of chemo. After that, he came home and we knew that he was going to go in a second round of a, a transplant. He got really critical and so I left my job and I left my daughter and I left my home all over again to go be with Roland. Uh, Roland didn't respond well to his transplant. Roland didn't respond well to anything. The doctor started letting me know that it was time to look into comfort care for him. Roland passed August of 2018, and my biggest fear came true, and that was to become a single mom. And that was scary. I had no idea how I would do it. God was there, and God has shown up. I just got to witness my little one, and Mia, get baptized. And that was through Roland's passing that she just completely also wanted to walk with Jesus. It's been hard, but God has been so good through it all so many sweet things that God did and used people as the hands and feet of Jesus through that. We had people just overflowing us with blessings and prayers and people came to visit us in St. Louis. We had meals paid for. We had our rent payment in St. Louis paid for. Um, I do remember this man, a good friend at that time, coming to the hospital and offering to pay our rent. And I had said no, because we were okay. And then he offered to buy me lunch, and I had said, no, it's okay. And then he offered to pay for my gas, and I had said, we're okay. And he just responded by, girl, don't rob me of my blessing. We had a couple take pictures of us. In so many ways, sweet friends, spending time to mentor and pour into us. It was really surprising to me how God had surrounded me by so many widows at that time that I didn't, didn't really realize. But their hurt that they went through one day was a blessing to me and the way God orchestrates friendships and relationships. Trust God, because He is good and nothing surprises Him. Mosaic, did you catch that last line of that video? As Lily encourages us, trust God because he is good and nothing surprises him. You know, Mosaic, could it be that God in his goodness knew that when a group of people focus on becoming like Christ, they focus on godly character, 
while at the same time continuing to perpetuate and to teach sound doctrine, that the local church would be perfectly positioned to meet the needs of a diverse family. Mosaic, I would argue that that's exactly what he intended. There isn't a, a program or an initiative that can, can foster up or can drum up that kind of ministry. It's the beauty of the local church. It's the beauty of the fact that we are invited to participate in something that God has established. It's our job to continue to focus on the development of that godly character, to preach and to teach and to live out the sound doctrine of scripture, trusting that he will perfectly position our lives and the life of this church to have an impact in Northwest Arkansas and all over planet Earth. Mosaic, would you pray with me? Our dear Heavenly Father, I'm amazed at how relevant your word is. I'm amazed at how timeless it is, but also how timely it is. I'm amazed, Lord, at the way that you use the Apostle Paul to speak into the life of Timothy and a church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and yet it feels like it was written for us today. Lord, I pray that we would continue to be a church that keeps our gaze, keeps our eyes focused on the person and the work of Jesus Christ and that our lives would be transformed and shaped by the truth of your word. God, may we be a church where you are producing godly character and the needs of a diverse body are met. God, we love you and we trust you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
What a privilege. What a privilege it is to sing those words. Um, family, we know that you may be in a spot where it's your opportunity to be generous, where you can come along someone and be the one to hold them up. We also know that you may be the one who needs a hand to the back and a push to the elbow. So with that, we will have our prayer team up here this evening. We'd love to talk with you, to be in that relationship where the body can come along uniquely and not dump you into a program or initiative, but through a relationship, meet the needs of one another. That's all we've got for you. You're loved. Go in peace.